Welcome to another Brave Conversation. Just real girls talking real life. I hope you're encouraged as you listen in and join the conversation. Today's recording is a general conversation. We understand that the challenges of mental health are diverse and unique to each person. If you are struggling with depression, anxiety, or other mental health concerns, please seek medical advice. There are helpful contacts listed in the description of this podcast. If you are in an emergency or at immediate risk of harm to yourself or others, please contact emergency services on triple zero. So I've got a question for you, Greg. I'm a good person and my life has not turned out the way that I thought it would. How can I reconcile that? How can I maintain hope? Mm, Okay. Yes, it's uh, to encounter disillusionment once again is a – it's going to be a normal experience of life. You're going to have uh, – it's good to come to the table of life with hopes and aspirations and ideals. I, I encourage you to be idealistic, have ideals. And um, however, that transition between, um, for example, between teens and adulthood, um, when some of our aspirations don't turn out and um, – or maybe graduating, maybe maybe you've always wanted a family, maybe you've just desperately wanted this thing. Who knows what you desperately wanted, but now you've got it. It may not be what you thought it was going to be. And um, maybe more, more harder work than you thought it was going to be. Um, and also maybe you've aspired to things, maybe you've aspired to relationships, maybe you've aspired to... Um, positions and career trajectories and all sorts of aspirations that haven't come, that haven't come to fruition and you're feeling less than, you're feeling despairing and spending too much time comparing yourself with somebody else who may have already achieved what you were desiring. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what happens in your mind along those times? And so... Maybe just a bit of a sketch outline what your mind will do unless you get it to do different. You know, just the default setting, the default setting of the human mind is to condemn you. Your mind will come after you. If you do not do different, if you do not um, get your mind or coach your mind to do something else, it will come after you like hellhounds. It will attack you. It will condemn you or punish you or persecute you day and night. That's what your That's the default setting of the human mind. And you... Add some stress on top of that. You add some difficulty on top of that. You offer, you add some other uncomfortable things going in relationships, and that will increase that to the power of two or three, and uh, you will start to live out a distressed experience in your own mind. And then it just it will just uh, snowball. A distressed mind will eventually become a depressed mind. Mm. And um, and there and that's all available to anyone who wants to uh, get caught up in their own failed expectations and loiter for too long in uh, in the despair of uh, created by comparing yourself with someone else that that you might have decided that you're similar to yeah and so do yourself a favor stop comparing yourself yeah blink yourself down 
and concern yourself with your own life in living out the excellence um, or, or to be the most excellent you can possibly arrange and to focus your energies on um, honing your own skills, your own things and keeping your mind and keeping your eyes on your own grass and make sure your lawn is good and keep your keep away from the fence <laughs> and stop looking at other people's lawn that you might think that you should be like that too. And um, uh, there's just a whole range of little bombs, that little scatter bombs that can go off in your mind when you're comparing yourself yeah. uh, with other people's stuff. And um, and sort of it doesn't really match w- w- matter which way you come at that. Um, there's torment. Now you could have succeeded. Maybe you succeeded more than your half your cohort of friends or peers, and you could be robbed of the joy of that by guilt. And you could live out of a guilt frameworks, and 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 guilt could hound you uh, more than you actually realise. I mean, I would say to you that many people listening to this right now will be more familiar with the voice of guilt than you are of the spirit. Mm. We know what guilt sounds like, and um, so you need to be aware of that as well. Guilt. There's a few things to know about guilt. One that it's a bully. Yeah. Guilt will bully you into doing things. It will bully, bully you into taking responsibility for things that are not yours. It's not yours. You don't need to dumb yourself down. You don't need to dumb down your own genius to make other people feel comfortable in the room or in the fellowship or in your group. Um, there's you know, a bit of gentleness and humility is also required, but you don't need to shrink back in order to help other people feel different. Leave other people's emotions to their own. And um, and so guilt can come at us in a few ways. Guilt can come at us to make us feel guilty about our own success, and we can guilt can also be there and feel guilty because why we didn't succeed. And so I take the time to mention and talk about guilt a little bit because um, you need to know you need to know about the strategy of guilt because it will also rob you. And if you're wondering when. You know, when when do I, how do I know when guilt's around? Well, it's probably right driving every thought that you ever had around the word should. Probably should, probably should give mum a call, probably should drop in it, probably should go and pop in and do that, probably should pick that up, probably should, 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 should. Every time you hear yourself think should, you know that you just had an intervention with guilt. And it is the, the most disempowering um, dimension of human life. Mm. Now you decide when you're going to call them. You decide when it's going to fit into your week to drop in and see someone or not. If, you, if it doesn't fit or if you can't do it without stressing yourself or putting too much into your week, don't do it. Put it off. Let them know that you'll get back to them in a couple of weeks or shift the timeline, shift the expectation, um, but certainly unload yourself from the burden of guilt. Um and you decide, you design your own life. You're going to get one of them. Yeah. You decide how often you need to contact somebody and if it was if it was at a certain level and you need to reduce it, say so. Don't bully yourself, push yourself. And also the other dimension of guilt is that it's a liar. It will lie to you or cause you to believe things that are not true about what you should do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, once again... Good for you to decide what is true and what you will, what you will and won't do, but um, that's just a, an aside issue when you're having to deal with disillusionment. 
um, when you're comparing yourself, when you wanted more from life than life's actually uh, perceived. And also can I mention when, um, when it comes to disillusionment and life hasn't turned out the way I was hoping or I believed, or maybe I even had a word that I was going to do this, that, and the other, and I was going to kick all these goals. And um, Be aware of the disillusionment of life from your 20s out to your 30s and your 40s. Because whatever was spoken over you, you may not be there yet. Yeah. If you can think about the tele- telegraph wires between tele- telegraph poles, for example, you know, there's there's a lot. There's a lot, and there's you know, it could be a good part of a half a kilometer between those poles, and um, and sometimes we at midlife, say we say around the mid of that sag on that telegraph. Well, sometimes we're just so impatient to see the whole story and see the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and want the whole thing right now. Well. Some of those things we need to be able to put it on like a glove, but the glove goes on by little, by little, by little, by little. And so, you know, some of your disillusionment will be resolved by patience. And once again, I've been up to Bunnings to check if they've got any, they don't. <laughs> you cannot buy patience, you need to develop it. Perseverance, endurance. And so some of the things that you hope for, um, things that you suffer for through disillusionment for, they are things that are in the making. And just because it's not in your hand right now doesn't mean it's not coming. Yeah. And so there is a faith component required to do this life. And, um, you know, a faith component that you can either leave switched on and have it healthy and have a healthy aspiration and a hope for the future. Or you can have that you can have that faith light turned on, like a studio light says on the air, but you're using that faith light to torment yourself because you're feeling less than and you're feeling bad because you haven't achieved it. Well, I encourage you to plug a few gigs of patience into your faith. That's what you're doing with it. It's not meant for that because you end up with, you know, hope deferred. Yeah. And, you know, many people with hope deferred need to come see someone like me um, because it's it's sort of boiled over on the stove and it's all got very messy. And so it's very good to keep a little bit of real and say, have your ideals, yes. Hold on to that. As a young person, young people need to have ideals, <laughs> need to be idealistic. However, you will notice up the way somewhere that uh, some of those ideas will get tempered, some of the timelines will get, you know, morphed, and um, and sort of some somewhat of the realism or the realistic components of life will reshape some of those ideals. But um, you know what? Where would we be without ideals? Yeah. If we weren't, how? Awful would it be if you weren't aspiring to something and you weren't going somewhere with your life? How ordinary would that be? So don't take your ideals out in the garden and bury them. No, keep them alive, keep them there, but just be prepared to uh, work with the timeline a little bit while you hope for something that you know doesn't really exist right now. Several years ago I read half a dozen books on, on faith and I think I smelted down a thought from three or four books on that thought, and I think the thought went along the lines of uh, faith is the um, is being absolutely, absolutely intensely um, expectant of what's about to, what's about to happen, even though what's what you're hoping for doesn't even exist right now. Mm. And so to stick, to stay in that peak exuberation of an expectancy, um, even while you know that what you're hoping for doesn't even exist right now, and to stay on the crest of that wave and stay there, and um, and um, and all the time working, just do every day, just getting up every day and doing what you can, little by little by little by little, to work quietly. Even no one would even need to know what that aspiration was, but just quietly chipping away and doing what you're 
doing while you target your initial goal. And so the funny thing about goals and aspirations, you could get three quarters of the way to that goal and realise and see something out the corner of your eye that you didn't even know existed. Then you end up going in another direction. Then you could punish yourself because it's not really what you thought it was going to be. However, if you did not have got out of bed every day and step by step by step by step and targeted something, you would have never been in a position or in an environment to even know or even learn about the terminology that describes what you do now or what you're being prompted to do now. So, um, you know, we need to be a little bit flexible. Um, really, really, and the flexibility needs to be because of Ephesians 3.20. You need to be able to smelt down what's in you and to be able to comply with the requirements and the and the Grand Canyon, really, of Ephesians 3.20, or, or the galaxy and the universe of Ephesians 3.20, what it is with our humble ideas and our humble offering of obedience, for God to be able to mix, mix himself with our own efforts and aspirations and to be able to create something within us and around us that is beyond our capacity to imagine or think. Now, if you could imagine myself, for example, going from someone who started out in engineering um, and then to end up in psychology. And if, if the Lord tapped you on the shoulder tomorrow and pro- provoked you to start to head towards something that was absolutely impossible, you know, would you turn up? Mm. Would you turn up for work? And um, knowing, and you've got to know that moving from engineering to psychology, that's a long way. It's <laughs> a long way. And, you know, if you feel like you're running in the dark, you think, oh, yeah, but I've just got no direction right now. I feel like I'm in. Yeah, well, don't be afraid of running in the dark. I know my journey from engineering to psychology, I, I was given a picture one day and it was, it was like a picture of an American gridiron game. And yet it was a gridiron game played in the dark. I know the ball was played. I know the ball went back to the quarterback who had to throw the ball. And, but my job was to run. My job was to run. My job was to run for about six or seven years to prepare, to train, to study, to be, to move from where I was in my training there um, um, as a counsellor to move towards psychology. But I didn't know how it was all going to work out. Yeah. I just needed to be at the perfect place on the field at the right time to throw my hand up in the air to take the ball that was thrown a long time ago. Yeah. And at the end you could say, oh, well, you're lucky because you went to do – no, no, no. That was a result of – being prepared to run in the dark. I was given a word. I was prompted. I was, had a notion to do something. I had about two or three words to work, work with for about a six or, sorry, five to seven year project. I had, I, had to, I had to live and run on, be motivated, be directed by two or three words that were given to me, which in the end turned out being years and years and years before. But there were words that I wrote down and there were words that I wrote, spoke over myself regularly. But my experience was that I ran in the dark for a long time and when I was prompted at the end of that run, I then put my hand up and I took a long pass and which was open a clinic on the Gold Coast and therefore when I was prompted to do that, I was equipped. Yeah. I was trained. I was in the right place at the right time and uh, to target something that was good. And I can see, Greg, just how the pace and the instant life that we live in today would be an enemy to that where it's like we're so used to having what we want when we want it at, yes. you know, at our fingertips that the thought of persevering for five to seven years for a goal might even sound foreign <laughs> to yes. a lot of people listening. Yes. Yeah, and to be able to manage, to be able to manage your own thought life is key in that. 
Mm. Um, for those who have been prompted to do something that's a bit crazy, you might think it's crazy yourself. You probably haven't. You may not have even told anybody yet because it, it's just in the crazy category. You've never muttered <laughs> it outside your head. And I guarantee you there'll be a lot of people um, listening to this today who have actually been prompted to do something ridiculous because it's, 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 um, it's a whole new game. Whatever you thought your faith was before this, just rule it off, rule the page off, tear it off, start again. Because we just entered a whole new arena and for you to use the past as a navigational tool for the future will hold you up. Yeah. And um, so we need to start again. So how do you navigate when you've just thrown all the maps out? And um, and that's a really challenging thing. A, a voice that I would have in my head. Now, I, when I was prompted to step across into university and to retrain, uh, I, had a, I had a house full of teenagers. There was a, we had a family of five, three teenagers. And so there's a whole range of just practical things where that was just even crazy to power three. And... Um, However, I was prompted. You know, the word of God's either worth something or it's not. Yeah. But he spoke to me. And um, I had to decide daily whether that was important or not. And just because God speaks doesn't mean, that, it doesn't mean that other voices are not there as well. Because, because one of the voices that I also heard even more clearly in my own mind was, this is ridiculous, get out of here, go and just have a decent job, make some money, make, pay your bills yeah. for goodness sake. This is irres- you're being irresponsible. Get out of here, go and get a job and go and pay your bills for goodness sake. Get out of here. This is ridiculous. Is, you know, for goodness sake, take responsibility for and go off and, and earn some money and pay the bills for goodness sake. And that went on for two and a half years. You know, it went, went on through all undergraduate psychology, really. And after two and a half, after two and a half years, then after that time, then the Holy Spirit decided to speak again. What he said to me was, did I, did I ever ask you to be responsible? Long pause on my behalf. No, no, I don't think I've ever read that anywhere, to be responsible. He said, and the, the following inquiry was, well, what did I ever ask of you? Long pause. Okay, you asked, you, what you would have desired of me was to be faithful mm. and to do what I prompted you to do. And so then after two and a half to three years of torment, when, uh, when you have the answer and you then speak to the torment and, and shut the torment up, well, that made a big difference. However, in that two and a half, three years, that forged, that forged in me and my mind just an awareness of the other voices that you have in your head. And you've got to know that some of those voices aren't yours. Yeah. They don't belong to you. You might notice that when life gets despairing and life's really difficult and you're running out of coping and you're running on, you're not entirely sure what you're running on. You might notice that some pretty disgusting thoughts will turn up in your mind and um, just know that it's not uncommon when you're in a despairing place that thoughts will turn up that will suggest that you should kill yourself or snuff yourself out or... And it starts by thinking thoughts like, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, it wouldn't be such a bad idea. If I didn't have to, if I didn't have to put up with this life, you know, it wouldn't be all that bad. And just little by little by little, some really dangerous thoughts can turn up, and you and you know they're not yours. And so you need to be awake up to the game here. Those thoughts of self harm, and I know it feels really intense. And it feels like yours, but the thought in its initial 
realm didn't come from you. If you if you wind back to the garden, in the garden there it turned out that you know God and man lived in incredible unity. His thoughts were their thoughts, and their thoughts were his thoughts. And then he turns up one day. God turns up in the garden and says, "Well, hey, where is everybody? Hello, hello, cooey or whatever he said at the time." <laughs> um, and he gets this someone waving to him behind a bush. Oh, we're here. We're rude. We're, we're rude. <laughs> We feel a bit rude, we're naked. And it, and the Lord's straight on to it. Hey, it's not one of my thoughts. Yeah. Who told you who told you you're rude, for goodness sake? Who told you that? And so right there in the beginning, you know, alternative or intrusive thoughts turn up that do not belong to us. And if you cannot determine the origin of that thought, it makes you very vulnerable. And I trust that some of the ideas I've given you today might help you to be alert to the content and the origin of some of the toxicity. Now, you might have thought that way for a long time. And while I'm at it and while I'm having this conversation, I just want to talk to those people who who understand what it is to be in a dark place. I want to talk to you. Now, you've never told anyone about that dark place. and um, But you do. You have this dark place where you slip, slip away to and no one would know and you spend probably too much time there, particularly when life's tough. Yeah, you might believe in a half a dozen things. You might believe in God and you might believe in this, that and the other, but you also believe in the comfort of that dark place. And you might, you know, Jesus is good and the peace of God and the worship's good, but, you know, when I go home, you know, I don't always go home to the company of spiritual enlightenment and light. And honestly, if truth be known, I don't actually live in the light. I've This dark place has been my comfort for a long time. Now, if that describes you, I just want you to I want you to know that that darkness is not your friend. Or it's certainly not as friendly as it makes out. And that darkness is uh, grooming you. And um, it has plans for you. Its plan for you is to, for you to die, for you to snuff you out. And I know it's I know it's um I know it's familiar. I know you've probably spent a lot of time there and it's probably been a good friend to you and no one else was a place for you to disappear to, a place for you to dissociate to when life, in the real life, was too hard. But I just want to include you guys in this conversation today too, that um, just for you to hear me say that I understand, but I also understand the the danger of that place too, and you know that. And so if you're familiar and spent, and you know you spent too much time there, I'm just calling you out on it now, I'm just naming it right now. And for you to... Um, um, reduce and work towards ceasing, you know, having two bets on two horses here. You know, you might have a bit of money on Jesus and he's pretty good, but you've also got some money on this other place where you spend too much time. And I guarantee you, if you were to be able to resolve this in your own mind and you were able to come out of there and lean and sever your ties with that darkness, the light that you've been offered and the light of the world will be much more beneficial to you. It will be a much richer, deeper experience. Now, you're not the only person who's ever had a couple of girlfriends or boyfriends on the side while you're trying to be married to something over here. Many people have many dalliances and, and divvy up their affections. Um, so you don't need to feel bad about that. But that particular one is very dangerous. And uh, that will get you caught in deep, dark loathings and have you staring at the back door 
looking at alternatives to living a rich and healthy life for too long and you'll, and you'll spend too much time in, potentially in a suicidal place even. So I want you to have a good long think about what I'm saying and um, make some decisions about stopping, propping yourself when that thought or that notion to disappear into the darkness comes again and for you to lean this other way, lean into the light and maybe if you might even need to lean, reach out and, and talk to someone that you trust about that they can help you and they can help you feed your mind to equip you to resist the darkness when it comes calling. And um, I trust it's okay to say those things um, because that relates to um, too many people, Mm. Um, even though you would have never spoken to another soul about that. Anyway, I trust that's helpful for you there. Yeah, Greg, I really appreciate your professional voice in into um, this really important issue of life for every single person. Um, And I think it'd just be important to include into our conversation today that if we have someone in our world, and I'm sure most of us do, um, who is struggling with anxiety, depression, maybe they're overwhelmed with life, um, how can we be a great support to those people? That's a, that's a, a good and wonderful thing and the benefit of a podcast like this to equip to equip the masses, to take the information. And the reason I'm here today talking to you, Christiane, about this is to be able to take this information that's often siloed away in professional clinics and and we can speak astutely to it. And, um, and, you know, there was a time when mental health issues really only affected a small proportion of the population. But because of the pressure um, that the community is under in this time, in this hour, there's a time now to to broaden the field of and to get this knowledge on the street. And so mums and dads, aunties and uncles, you know, teens and and peers and um, any other person who has insight or connection with any other age group at all, that people can be equipped to be able to step confidently into the fray, to be able to reach out and lend a hand. And, um, you know... You know, but you need to stay within your uh, comfort zone and what your capabilities are. But um, um, there's just some base baseline knowledge about depression, anxiety. That I guess it's uh, one. You know, I guess step one is not be afraid of it. Anxiety and depression is a very natural states. A very statu- um, anxiety, a very natural mental state. A, a depression, a very natural mood state of life. You're going to cycle in and out of feeling less than or feeling flat at some point in your life. Yeah. Um, that's you're not going to get in one end of life and out the other without feeling some of these things. But the the issue is when we get stuck there. Yeah. When we get stuck there for too long, and um, you know. One of the issues of being able to mature as an adult or, as a, or even as you transition from childhood into adulthood is, is to be able to regulate your emotions. Now, not everyone has been able to do that the same. Um, and, um, but what I will say there is uh, depression isn't bad luck. Turning up and having someone use the word anxiety around you or even for you to be even able to admit that, that you've been anxious right now, it's not bad luck. It's just the absence of a couple of coping strategies that would probably um, enhance your coping capacity in that time. I know that when we came into the COVID-19 era, COVID-19 keeper, 
um, that I know that that I was stretched. It was very stretching to me. It took me, you know, several weeks to be able to, you know, get my head around what was going on. And you know, there was times there when I was, I guess, even distressed for the world and what this would mean. I mean, I've been a, a trauma therapist for many, many decades now, and we have some very um, powerful ways to release and release individuals um, from trauma and release the emotional residue and the road grime of life and time. But for me to see the entire world or the entire community going into a traumatising experience like that, that was uh, somewhat distressing for me. And um, I guess I had concerns for the community. And even though, even as a, even personally, and it took time to adjust to that. And I'm sure everyone will have their own journey of adjusting to the changes um, around this um, this COVID nineteen uh, period. And so, um, and so, therefore, depression and anxiety may be um, a common experience, or it may have even been a new experience for you. Um, Depression. So I'm just going to give you a sketch outline of what depression is. So you just colloquially, I'm not going to quote a textbook to you, but just give you an understanding of what that is. Depression is a mood condition. Depression is a mood. It's a condition of your mood. You'll either feel energized and ready to take on the world, or you'll feel flat and you're not sure whether you want to get out of bed. And you know, pulling pulling the doona over your head and pulling and closing the blinds and shutting the door might feel better. Might feel like a what you really want to do today rather than bounce out and be motivated to take on the world. Uh, for some of you, that's a, that's a regular cycle of life. Every couple of weeks you might cycle in and out of feeling a bit flat. And um, But for others, you know, that's a whole new, brand new experience. You're really not sure. You don't know if you've got the confidence to take on the world today and maybe I'll just, if I just slept a little bit longer, that'll fix it. Um, and so sleeping... Even though you a, a component or a symptom of depression is that you're going to be fatigued, sometimes the fatigue gets so strong you feel even feel aches and pains in your body, and so you're going to want to if you're feeling flat, your mood's flat, um, you will want to um, sleep more anyway. But um, a lot of these things that happen, I say depression, anxiety, stress, they are human deactivation uh, symptoms. And conditions, they will deactivate. You will power down, and you they will be de-energizing. And so, a lot of uh, you know, once we've identified what, what's going on for people in the clinic, or maybe stress, or maybe depression, maybe anxiety, but a lot of the activities that we give people are activation strategies, human activation strategies. As I say, um, depression isn't bad luck; it's just a generally a a lack of an adequate strategy to address whatever life's throwing at you right now. And so we have um, techniques we give people that people within moments can feel different because depression is a feeling thing. It might be driven by, you know, depression is triggered by thoughts. You know, depression is triggered by the quality of your thoughts, but depression itself is a mood condition. Um, Anxiety, we're about to say anxiety is generally, what is that? It means that your mind's traveling too quick, the pulse rate of your thoughts is too high, and if you're gonna, your life's going to feel like hit and run and dragged along underneath your own mind. Now, um, and if you are anxious, you're going to have stress, you're going to feel tension in your body. You might carry tension in your shoulders, you might carry tension in your tummy, but um, you know that they're just indicators and signs of that your mind is far too busy. And so therefore, you know, I've already given a, a brief outline of what happens when your mind's too busy for too long. 
um, earlier in this um, segment. But um, um, but some of these conditions have names, and anxiety is one of them. And you know, it might be just normal anxiety. It might be uh, mild anxiety. You know, by the time you mild or moderate anxiety, it means that you can get racing thoughts. You can be okay, but you know, you can lay down at night. You can calm yourself and you can go off to sleep. But beyond mild and moderate, it means that you're lying there for five or ten minutes or half an hour or three hours, unable to, you know, slow your mind down. Now. You might be a high-capacity person. You might be someone who believes that they're a multitasking person. You can pull off all sorts of things. You could be ironing, cooking. You could be monitoring kids' homework. You could be doing this, that, and the other. But, you know, that's great in your functionality. But can you switch it off when you need to? Or do you go to bed as a multifunctioning, hyper-vigilant person as well? And uh, Or maybe you go off into the workplace. You can do five different things at different times. You can, you can supervise 30 staff and you've got all sorts of things going on in your office and 10 other offices around the country and you do it on your little finger. Um, and that's great. But when you come home, can you be a human? Or are you still this hyper, hyper multifunctional person that you know, does the same thing at home? So it's good to have um, you know, good restful strategies where you can refresh yourself and you can replenish yourself um, and differentiate yourself between your commercial and your professional life and your personal life and uh, where you can learn how to switch these things off. And if you can't, well, you'll at some point be hit and run and you'll get to the end of yourself and you'll um, the issue of burnout is still fairly prolific in the world today and you could call it burnout but it's just chronic exhaustion where you really haven't had adequate respect and self-respect. And um, we generally don't have a, as a person, as an individual, as a human being, we generally don't have a very good relationship with ourselves. And therefore, we generally don't care for ourselves in the same way that we might offer care to others. And therefore, over time, you'll gradually become more depleted and more depleted. And, um, and so as when you notice these conditions or these symptoms starting to emerge, you're starting to feel flat, you're starting to think that the doona should get pulled up rather than pulled off, um, well, you reckon you need to be able to adjust and accept the fact that you're probably running low right now. Mm. Your battery's running low, you need to refresh and recharge rather than condemning yourself and bullying yourself into doing more. You know, be kind, be... Make a choice. Be nasty or nice. <laughs> Choose nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's just a general rule for everyone to be able to. Australians are not really very comfortable with the word love. We have a very poor relationship with that. We don't really connect with that word as a general rule. But we can come at the word uh, respect. Yep. We can we're more comfortable with the word accept or what is the self acceptance or self respect. Um, so just just. If you're maybe getting frayed or frazzled at the moment, just uh, in your own reflection, just have a, have a bit of an evaluation about how respectful you are right now. Maybe even just maybe for you, just even being in the winter, maybe your energy and your get up and go is different in the cooler months. And so just be careful about bullying yourself to do something that, you know, do you need to travel at the same speed with the same intensity for 12 months of the year or can you give yourself a break? Um, anyway, so I just offer a few ideas there for you to avoid getting to the end of yourself. Yeah. And 
being a, for example, to avoid ever being a partner who's burned out, who's grumpy and reactive and irri- too easily irritable yep. and too easily um, um, agitated because, you know, your family will know you're stressed long before you do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Greg, I just want to thank you for your time today. I think you've been very generous with your time and your talent and your expertise. I think these are really important conversations to have. Um, so I just want to thank you for joining us today. If anybody listening would like to know more about our guest, you can go to getyourheadright.com.au. But other than that, thank you so much for your time today, Greg. Thank you, Christian. It's my pleasure. All the best there. Thanks for joining us. You can help keep the conversation going by subscribing and staying connected. Catch you next time for another Brave Conversation.